Good day, everyone, and welcome to our edition of In a Nutshell. We are very lucky to have with us today the head of Vattenfall's gas trading team, Frank Van Dorn. He is going to talk to us about the gas market and the related markets, such as renewables, carbon and power, within which, of course, gas now sits. This has been a year of well-known uh, and extremely unwelcome circumstances which have affected the gas market as much as anything else. And I was wondering whether, Frank, you could talk to us a little bit about how, as a major utility with retail and industrial customers scattered over Europe, you could explain to us briefly how the market has been shaped by the events of the last eight months or so. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, William. Thank you, thank you for having me. A small correction, I'm heading the entire trading unit, not just the gas desk, although I used to be in charge of gas and I started as a gas trader about 20, 21 years ago. Um, yeah, I think gas-wise, it has been a really interesting uh, year so far. Um, we have seen incredibly low prices, um, which have been kind of the result of both weather, uh, corona, as well as kind of global uh, supply and demand uh, issues. Um, and um, yeah, we have now kind of seen a recovery, but the price moves have been pretty extreme. Also kind of the the, the, the low the low prices um, that we've seen earlier this year were, uh, well, uh, well, kind of pretty unusual. Um, so it, ha it has been an interesting year so far on say the kind of, uh, from a utility perspective, I think demand, of course, has been uh, has been has been low lower due to both the weather as well as the uh, demand destruction after COVID. Although that has, I think, already uh, recovered quite a bit. Uh, but I think, um, yeah, it has been a difficult year for most uh, gas retailers simply because of the fact that, uh, uh, yeah, the overall um, sales volume was lower and um, kind of the the volumes that had to be kind of sold in the market had to be sold at a very low price. So the, um, it has been a difficult year for for, for many uh, sellers of gas, I guess. There's also been a bit of a pickup in prices lately. There were reductions in the amount of LNG cargoes leaving the US. Then those which did leave tended to go to Asia instead. So there's been a price rise now for some months. How do you see the rest of the year panning out, do you think? Well, we're now early October, um, and of course, uh, November, December are becoming much more weather uh, dependent, uh, or the price are much more determined by the weather than, say, uh, May, May to September. Uh, so the outturn of the weather will uh, will kind of um, define to a large extent where we'll be heading price-wise. Um, I think if you look at LNG for Europe, the um, Kind of the the spread between uh, TTF and Henry Hub seems to be a bit kind of stable around two dollars per MMBTU for the say the next uh, six months or so. Uh, so that means that there is uh, yeah it's 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 a good enough margin for uh, for LNG producers and shippers to bring LNG to Europe. So that's I think also the overall expectation of the market that it will be kind of more or less steady steady uh, flow of LNG into Europe. Um, so if you take everything into account, also the fact that prices now, now seems to have stabilized a bit, both say on the forward, but also on the prompt uh, side of the curve, 
for the moment, it looks kind of all fairly balanced and, uh, and quiet, I should say. Do you see the amount of gas in storage, which is phenomenal this summer of the year? Do you think that's also going to act as a, a dampener on prices going forward? Yes, that, I think that kind of uh, limits the uh, the upside, uh, clearly. And I think what's uh, different in this year compared to last year, certainly the years before that, is the fact that we have quite a bit of uh, volumes in Ukrainian storage uh, being uh, that has been injected there. Um, that uh, could stay in store when prices are not... Uh, um, not uh, high enough to withdraw versus the injection price for next summer, but uh, it is there uh, to be made available to the European market when needed. Um, so that that will definitely uh, provide a cushion for, oh, provide a cushion, provide a kind of a, a ceiling for for prices. Um, um, and uh, for the rest, I think uh, we have a pretty well supplied system. So unless the weather becomes really, uh, really cold, uh, I think it will be a relatively stable uh, next six months. Although I, I, I know that's a very dangerous prediction to make, but if I have to make any, that's uh, <laughs> of how it looks like, my point of view. And there's also been some changes on the, on the demand side, haven't there? Today, for example, the uh, the CCGTs operated by Uniper, Ersching, they came back online or they're back now in the market. How do you see gas competing with coal for the power generation sector? And do you think that the carbon price is going to reach a level that will make it more attractive? Yeah, I, th I think both uh, gas and, and coal have kind of found its bottom, uh, I would say. Um, so they're, I would say, both in a, in a, in a mild uptrend. Um, carbon is more the, uh, the old one out because that seems to be more kind of living a, a, a life on its own. Uh, so mm -hmm. that, that could change uh, a bit, but uh, uh, I think carbon is, is clearly in an uptrend, although it didn't uh, convince, uh, convincingly break 30 uh, euros uh, yet. Uh, it seems to be more bullish than, than the other commodities, and that would then uh, be uh, kind of in favor of, uh, of gas. But also there, uh, I don't think we were going to see large, large changes. Right. I'm thinking about the forward curve for carbon in particular, given the announcements by the EU that is going to fund part of the Porthos project. Um, there are a number of CCS projects in fact going on, and, and Vattenfall itself has, a, I think, declared a, a pledge that it will become carbon neutral within a generation. So I'm wondering whether Vattenfall has any uh, views or uh, interests in CCS or what, what form they may take. And what sort of a price, if not, what sort of a price you might think might encourage these projects to get off the ground? Oh, that's a very difficult question you ask. Uh, but uh, I think in general, uh, CCCS is, remains a difficult, uh, uh, a difficult item. Uh, mm -hmm. We see progress, but it's not uh, kind of exponentially uh, increasing. Uh, let's put it like this. Um, I think from, for Vattenfall as a company, um, we just uh, kind of uh, believe in, in making the economy and the society green within one generation. Um, CCS, CCS is not the kind of the way forward in, in our opinion, and we, um, we more 
focus on, on uh, ex expanding our renewable power um, fleet with, um, with all kind of projects. Um, and maybe green hydrogen can also complement that. And at the end of the day, it's pretty much a, a storage problem that we that, that we talk about because uh, um, it's pretty easy to expand the um, uh, the capacity of uh, of uh, renewable power, uh, but uh, clearly um, it's difficult to store power. So storage in in one way or the other, or also kind of connecting uh, connecting areas on the power market uh, even even better across Europe. I think that's the uh, the key challenge here. You ha you have uh, combined cycle gas turbines, which are of course they're going to be the backbone of any kind of transition. Do you plan to invest more in those? Do you see those as being a bigger part of your of your of your fleet going forward? Because Europe does need dispatchable power, doesn't it? And renewables all very well most of the time, but there are times when you really have to have dispatchable. And with Belgium phasing out nuclear, yeah. there's, and Germany phasing out nuclear and coal, there's a risk, to my mind, of a of a slight shortfall in in peak supply versus demand. Yeah, that, that's that's certainly kind of the scary element of uh, the transition that we're in the middle of. Uh, they're all kind of moving parts. Uh, we have a very interconnected uh, power market these days, but um, uh, for example, in Germany, uh, the amount of capacity, uh, coal-fired capacity that's kind of taken off the market is uh, is, is is quite uh, impressive. Um, so on one end, we are taking off the grid and a firm capacity. It may be out of the money, maybe polluting and everything, but it was firm. Uh, and we are adding uh, renewable capacity, which is intermittent, uh, as we all know. Um, so kind of overall, I think um, it kind of looks okay, but um, yeah, it'll always be kind of determined whether this kind of continues to function in, a, in an extreme case. And it's always mm -hmm. difficult to put a probability on. and. Uh, well, Belgium, as you mentioned, is an interesting case because uh, it's heavily depending on uh, uh, nuclear uh, generation. Um, only a few power plants which are kind of uh, more towards the end of their lifetime. Uh, and a power system um, that has kind of limited connections, strangely enough, to uh, its neighboring countries. So that might be an interesting case. Um, and. Uh, yeah, I think I just hope that uh, that we don't get in, into any kind of literally black scenarios because that would be very very difficult for say the renewable transition that we are that we are supporting. And how do you think CGGTs will cope? I mean, we want to bring on more. I think uh, that's a, that's the message I'm getting from a number of companies, not only in Germany. Um, yeah. But the question is how how to how to reward them, how to ensure that they aren't you know, shelved because the investment in climate is so uncertain. Is the capacity mechanism, do you think, the solution to that? Um, well, it's a bit difficult, I think. Capacity markets uh, have not really come off the ground. Uh, yeah. And the question with, with regard to how to reward CCGD, CCGTs uh, is maybe not an easy one. I don't see kind of a lot of investments happening uh, in them, to be honest. Um, and also at Vattenfall, it's not the area where we put our investment in. But at the same time, I think it's undisputed that that gas is the kind of the tra transition fuel, um, and that CCGTs will be 
kind of needed for the for uh, the, the the years to come. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah. I think it's at the end of the day the market which kind of determines uh, uh, what kind of revenues uh, the owners of CCTTs will will fetch, and uh, I hope it will be kind of sufficient to to keep um, yeah to keep enough there in the system that we need. Uh, and one of those signals has always been the spark spread, hasn't it? That's been the sort of one one, one uh, yardstick for for working out the demand for gas and power. How is that yeah. looking this winter? Is that looking quite bullish? Um, it's, it's looking pretty okay. It's it's still also there, a difficult animal to kind of uh, to handle, um, and it's also pretty much uh, how you how you hatch it. Uh, um, you can look at the curve, uh, but it depends on whether you want to. I mean, if you if you lock in the profit uh, early on and hatch your production forward then you take out the downside but you also take out uh, the upside and if you hatch less then it's more a risky game so it also depends mm -hmm. on your kind of how you manage um, your your position forward that kind of determine the the end result you're also a very large player in the as I said before the business to business and the the retail sector domestic and so on yes and there have been a number of companies i think shell and total have both laid out their stall saying that they see the downstream market as being a big part of their business they need somewhere to funnel their equity gas and so on how do you see that when the majors start becoming so aggressively focused on the downstream do you see that as a threat to you because battenfall as far as i know hasn't got equity gas of its own it has power but I'm wondering how, you, how you're braced for this new wave of competition, or maybe just one. How do you, how do you see it coming? Well, there are always kind of companies entering the market and exiting the market on, on mm -hmm. the gas side. Uh, although I must admit, gas retail is is not something I, I kind of deal with every day. But mm -hmm. uh, I would say it it has been a very competitive market, and it will remain a very competitive market. And uh, whether new companies uh, are um, uh, entering the market or not is not um, is is not uh, kind of a, a major item for us. Uh, if you look at gas retail, be it B two C or B two B, it's all about uh, having very efficient processes, having a good marketing uh, mm -hmm. marketing team, um, being able to to risk manage your positions. Uh, I think that is the the key to success in 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 that area. And not so much whether there's a new entrant or, entrant or not. I think in general margins are already pretty uh, pretty tight um, mm. across Europe, uh, across B2B, B2C, um, and that's that's not gonna gonna be a lot worse with uh, with one of new uh, new entrants. I would say. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's a couple of German LNG projects now soliciting for. Uh, capacity. I'm guessing from what you're saying, the Vattenfall won't be looking at bringing in LNG into Europe, or, or am I mistaking you a bit? Um, well, that's correct. We looked at LNG a few years uh, back, more from a trading perspective, also from a sourcing perspective, and it was kind of difficult to to make the numbers work. Uh, also, because it's it's a pretty large investment. I mean, we are as, as a company, we are investing uh, um, large sums into um, into renewable power, um, but kind of just as a for for sourcing gas, 
uh, investing in, in an LNG terminal or further, even further upstream. Uh, it's, uh, it's difficult to make the, the numbers work knowing that we have uh, a very liquid and deep uh, traded market here. So if you're purely looking from the perspective that you need to buy gas to source your, to your end users, um, it's difficult to kind of make a real case that you need to invest in LNG versus the mm. alternative and just buy all your volumes at, a, at a, for example, the TTF. But it's, yeah, it's same was... at the same time, it's very interesting to see what's happening. Uh, we are located with our trade floor in Hamburg. Uh, we also have a trade floor in, in Stockholm, but we have, I'm, I'm based in, in Hamburg and it's, here seems to be the, uh, the, uh, the place where it all will be happening LNG-wise in, mm -hmm. in Germany with two or three uh, projects kind of competing. Um, we are we are not actively looking at, at uh, being engaged engaged there, but uh, still follow that very closely. And uh, yeah, we're going to see what's uh, what what will happen. Uh, I mean, there are quite a few serious companies backing backing these uh, backing backing these projects. Uh, I think it's relatively certain uh, that three. I mean, we are, we are now looking at three possible. Uh, projects. I think three will certainly be not be built. And mm. I think one is rather reasonable. Two, not so sure. And that's the question: which which one will be built? Yes, it's interesting what you were saying as well about being a financial trader mainly. You don't need the physical assets to make the money. You can live in the margins between buying and selling and hedging, and uh, intelligent trading rather than simply having. The gas arrive at your doorstep and then distributing it amongst the customers, which is, I suppose, a, in some ways, it's a more certain way in terms of supply shocks. For example, if there was to be a problem with deliveries from Russia or, or your energy didn't arrive, then you'd be in real trouble. But you, you, you can live in the margins between the buying and the selling. Well, we, we have our proprietary gas trading, which is completely uh, separated from from the second part of our business, which is just bringing right. gas to end users. Mm -hmm. uh, for the latter, we have uh, we have access to uh, deep uh, liquid traded markets. So for that reason, we don't need LNG specifically. From mm -hmm. a trading perspective, uh, it's also difficult to 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 make the numbers work, and we don't have the ambition, say, to kind of. Um, cover the whole of the world uh, and being engaged in global LNG trading. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, leave to, we leave that uh, to others. I suppose you are a state-owned utility, so you have to be fairly prudent with taxpayers' money. Well, uh, we we spend uh, uh, we spend uh, money in large sums when it comes to uh, renewable power, especially mm -hmm. offshore. Uh, yes, but uh, we, our focus is to. Uh, enable fossil-free living within one generation. That's the official yeah. company uh, motto. Uh, and then it's more logical to invest in offshore wind rather than in, in LNG uh, facilities. So, off so offshore wind would be a, a prime uh, subject perhaps for your green hydrogen projects. Perhaps you could talk a little bit about, a bit about those or what um, you're attending in. Well, uh, it's correct that we have quite a few um, offshore wind projects that we either have been uh, FID'd or we're still kind of looking to uh, to bring to FID. Uh, but they're kind of all, uh, say, in Northwest Europe and in, 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 and in Sweden. Um, hydrogen is kind of uh, a something that could be complementing 
these uh, these projects. So we are looking at uh, at uh, two or three additions, but it's uh, it's kind of too early to say that this will happen. When it comes to hydrogen, I think our flagship um, flagship project is uh, Hybrid, uh, which is a uh, corporation uh, with two other companies. Uh, SSAB is steelmaker in um, in Sweden, uh, and that is really focusing on uh, using hi green hydrogen for uh, for steel production. And if you look at all the uh, possible uses of of hydrogen, then uh, using hydrogen in steel production brings uh, one of the best uh, returns when it comes to carbon uh, abatement. Uh, and that's where we um, where we have a pilot project, and I think that has a very good chance of kind of uh, evolving all the way to kind of uh, serious uh, industrial uh, production size. Um, and that is kind of the the main focus, I think, at the moment. So will that involve hydrolysis offshore and then piping the hydrogen to the factory gate? Or the reasons that are It will be producing the hydrogen on site, but with uh, right. with with green power. And now, of course, in the Nordics, uh, it's pretty easy because the only thing you have around there is green power being being at hydro being in mm -hmm. nuclear or uh, a wind uh, on and offshore um, so you can kind of convincingly claim that you can also produce the hydrogen uh, on the site uh, but for other parts of uh, Europe that's that's of course uh, more different so it's in a way also a very uh, it has it has kind of good characteristics to 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 move forward this project what sort of volume of gas would it displace, or would it be a different fuel altogether? Uh, well, I don't know exactly about uh, the, the carbon uh, uh, abatement, uh, mm -hmm. um, so okay. that's a bit difficult to tell. I'm not, a, yeah. uh, I'm not a technology expert here, but uh, if you look at uh, carbon abatement, it's it's uh, it has a lot of potential, um, and kind of giving the um, the characteristics of having green um, green power, uh, renewable power available more or less at the, at abundance in the Nordics. This is a a, a project that makes sense uh, from a kind of commercial perspective. Yes, I imagine there's plenty of hydro almost except when you have a drought. I think it was one, it was one in Norway, wasn't there? Not long ago, there was a relatively low rainfall period. But generally speaking, if you have abundant, if you have abundant hydro, that seems to be the cheapest form of green power that there is, which makes the economics of green hydrogen maybe uh, realistic. Because it is extremely expensive, isn't it, uh, compared with other fuels? It has to be have to be big advantages in terms of, you know, the um, the carbon the carbon price maybe that you aren't paying because you're using green hydrogen instead. Yeah. In general, uh, if you look at power prices, Nordic Nordic prices are typically lower than anywhere else in in Europe. Mm -hmm. um, and what we have seen um, over the last 12 months is uh, quite a lot of rain and snow, um, and that uh, has, I mean, it, the power prices in in the Nordics are mainly driven by uh, precipitation. Uh, and if you have a lot of that, then that brings prices down. And so mm -hmm. we have seen. Prices of two or three euro, euros 
for weeks in a row in, in the Nordics, and still the water levels are pretty uh, are pretty high. Um, so also from that perspective, producing uh, green uh, green hydrogen, uh, the Nordics is kind of the logical place because of the absolute level of uh, of power prices. Yeah, and of course, unlike unlike LNG, the water can only go downhill into in, in, into the power plants and so on. It, it can't be the power can't even be exported particularly far. And I'm thinking about Europe with plenty, plenty a lot of its hopes on on US LNG. First of all, is is it going to be green enough? Uh, and secondly, would it go into Europe or would it go to higher bidders instead? I think this this winter so far has shown that you know you can have the cargoes leave America, but they may well end up uh, in Asia. Not in Europe. So yeah, I'm interested about this winter particularly because it's been the sort of first time we've had a winter of COVID with all the uh, supply shocks around the world. But I think Britain and Europe, I should say, is pretty well buffeted. Buffered, I mean to say, pretty well buffered by the amount of gas it has in storage, even if not all the LNG does arrive here. Yeah, I think if you if you look at the ga the gas market, maybe reiterating a little bit what we discussed at the beginning, but uh, the system is kind of well supplied. We have uh, plenty of, of LNG uh, available. Uh, it can go to Asia as well, but it also means that if you pay enough, then it comes to Europe. Uh, we've got uh, a lot of uh, a lot of gas in store in the Ukraine, um, and demand-wise, uh, we're not we're not seeing a, a a increasing demand over Europe over the last year. So all in all, it's a pretty balanced system, I would say. In, in yeah, it, it does look as if gas demand is is falling. Uh, in, industrial demand has fallen quite a lot. Uh, in recent years, of course, renewable energy is uh, displacing a lot of gas from the power sector, further cutting demand. My only real sort of concern is that a lot, a lot of these renewable plants are, only exist because they know there's firm, dispatchable power behind them, so to speak. And, I, and I'm questioning whether there's enough support, enough recognition given to the CCGTs uh, in terms of the price they get because of what they enable. But that's yeah. a, a possibly a philosophical question, not one for for trading. But as far as you're concerned, it's uh, it, it, the market's working well for renewables. You're being incentivized. The money's the money to build the plants is coming in. The Swedish government is is uh, funding what it needs yeah. to fund. Well, it's it's a kind of providing financial uh, benefits to players in the uh, energy system that provide kind of. Um, safety and flexibility that's always a very difficult debate um, mm. I mean if we would have a situation uh, with uh, a little blackout somewhere in Europe uh, in the coming winter because it's very uh, cold no no wind what have you uh, then everybody would be reminded of the importance of CCGTs and other flexibility providers but uh, that's a tragic uh, when it doesn't happen then people, people may kind of forget about the importance of it and uh, as we as we go along, there will be uh, firm capacity taken uh, off the market, and uh, what's added is uh, is mostly uh, uh, renewable, uh, hence uh, intermittent. So um, it it is clear that we are uh, that we are kind of increasing the risk. I would say there was an episode in England about a year and a half ago. No, a year ago in August, I think it was, when there's a power cut. Where a number of plants tripped, including I think a gas fire plant, and I think there was a lot of suggestion initially. That this is this is what happens. They said 
when you have too much renewable on the grid, it's not enough stability, not enough spinning spinning reserve. Uh, this, this is going to happen more and more often as we go forward. But then it turned out that it wasn't necessarily that at all. And then an inquiry, I think, cleared everybody of any kind of <laughs> any kind yeah. of uh, uh, blame. Uh, we just said we must do better next time to monitor these things earlier. So uh, yeah, I think there may be a knee-jerk reaction when it comes to things offence like that. And who do you blame? But it isn't isn't necessarily the first suspect that comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, got got little to add here. It's uh, um, that is exactly the case. Uh, maybe uh, this kind of what hap has happened in the UK didn't really uh, reach all the other people here on the on the continent. That uh, could have been the case. Uh, and like mm. I said, it depends very much on the outturn of the of the weather. People have kind of forgotten that uh, we could also have cold winters, and uh, that would uh, change the picture quite a bit. Uh, Last winter was uh, was very mild, and then this, the system doesn't really get tested uh, that much. Certainly not on the gas side. That's right. Two, was it two years ago or three? There was the beast in the east, wasn't there, where storage was pretty much emptied, and prices went through the roof, and the crisis threatened. But it all seemed to pass in the end. This year, of course, we have more gas in storage. We have more sources of gas thanks to LNG. And we are we are generally speaking better connected to Europe, particularly with, with regards to the Balkans and uh, yeah. that part of the world, which has historically been been very much reliant on on gas from Russia. Right, so I think that kind of wraps things up for me, Frank. Do you have any observations you'd like to make about the, the state of affairs in the renewables or the carbon or the gas markets? Well, like I said, I started as a as a gas trader. I'm still very much uh, following the, the gas market. Uh, um, and that has now kind of become a global market, which is interesting to see. Uh, but certainly there's a strong uh, connection with the carbon market, everything that really happens in the power market. Um, so I think one thing uh, one thing is uh, certain that it's not going to be boring in the years to come. Let's, let's bring to that in a, in a safe and prudent fashion. <laughs> Many thanks for your, for your time and uh, for, for the conversation, Frank. It's been very interesting. My pleasure.